You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, a Marlins writer, as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And today is Monday, a mailbag Monday, December 21st. Some really good questions to talk about some interesting low-key stories that I don't think will point towards the Marlins doing anything, but I'm going to make my case for the Marlins to make a trade that I doubt they'll make. But I would say that it is a no-brainer for this team to take the next step and then answering some of the other good questions that I had sent my way. Very much appreciate those who sent questions. And keep in mind, you do not need to wait for my random Mailbag Mondays to send in a question if you ever have something you want answered at RMLatonAid on Twitter, and I'm happy to respond. I'm always looking to talk some Marlins baseball and get some ideas as to what you want talked about on the next episode, especially in this offseason and in what is such a boring, boring offseason. And I'm here to try to make it a little bit more interesting. So I'm going to answer at least a few of the more simple questions to start off with, and then I'm going to get into some trade hypotheticals and some that kind of stem off of some questions that I got earlier. But one that I really liked because I think it's a really important part of the Marlins' potential bullpen, and really I've talked about it a little bit in the past and talked about him a little bit in the past and how much he needs to pick it up this coming year, and it's Alex Vesia. And Vesia did not look good in what was just five games in 2020. He was really bad, but it was only five games. That being said, he has that incredible scoreless streak through the minor leagues that caught a lot of people's attention. Otherwise, we would not have been talking about Alex Vesia and he would not have gotten a chance to pitch in the major leagues last year. He had to do something as absurd as what he did in the minor leagues in 2019 to get that chance in 2020 to show what he's got. I would say I think the circumstances affected him a little bit more maybe than the average pitcher. And once he was thrown in there, he just did not seem ready. He threw four and a thirds innings, which was in five outings, struck out five, walked seven, which was surprising and uncharacteristic for him. He did have some command issues in A-ball, but as he got to the higher levels, he did not walk many batters at all. I believe it was only two in over 30 innings across high A and double A. So not sure what happened there with his command. When I'm looking at the figures, because the question was, to be specific, you know, what kind of Alex Vesia can we expect coming this year? Will the real Alex Vesia please stand up? And I'm hoping that the real one was not standing up last season, because there was not a lot to be excited about when we saw Alex Vesia in those five games. And when I look at the command issues, maybe that was just Again, a pitcher being kind of out of his routine and maybe more affected given the circumstances. That's a weird way to make your debut. As somebody that was a D2 guy, a late round pick, climbing all the way up, it's weird circumstances. And he was really on a roll and it got disrupted 
from the end of 2019 and rolling into 2020. So that could play a part in it. But when I look at his arsenal and as for like what are the specific things that could have affected him, he also got knocked around a little bit, right? He gave up three home runs in four and a third's innings. And when you look at his stuff, his fastball really isn't anything too crazy velocity-wise. He sits in the low 90s. His changeup is a plus pitch, and that's his bread and butter and why he's able to get more out of the fastball. And then the slider is not great, and we're going to need to see some improvements on that third pitch. But the fastball changeup combination was enough to make him at least a viable reliever as a southpaw. But it wasn't a surprise after I watched some of the tape that in the minor leagues, his splits were reversed, where right-handers struggled more against him, left-handers were more comfortable because, again, that changeup is going to be more effective fading away from right-handed hitters. That slider is not a great pitch, and I think it's reflected in the splits that the breaking ball just is not nearly as good as the other two pitches. 92 miles an hour on the fastball, 91 really was the average. was right about 91.7, so I guess we can round it up. That's not a great fastball velocity-wise, but he disguises it pretty well, and the changeup makes it play up, but there's not enough separation between the two pitches. 91.7 miles an hour on the fastball, and then the changeup sits right around the mid-80s, around 85, 84 to 85, sometimes touching 86. So we're talking about a 5 to 6 mile per hour difference between a fastball that's not that hard and a changeup that's probably too hard, and then the slider is the same speed or the curveball. It's kind of a blended pitch between the two. I would say it's more of a slider. is also right at 85 miles per hour. So you're looking at two pitches that are the same speed and then a fastball that is not that much harder than the changeup and the breaking ball you're going to be able to kind of prepare for one area of speed, upper 80s, and be able to adjust from there. And that's why I think Alex Vesia was not able to get as many swings and misses at the higher levels. With the minor leagues, you're going to be able to really ride one pitch a lot more than you can in the major leagues. And especially when it's a changeup, there's a lot of hitters that just really struggle with it in the minors because they don't see very many good changeups. Vessio was advanced in that regard and had a good changeup and was able to really exploit it in the minor league level. So to answer your question, to specifically answer it, I am pretty concerned with Vessio when I look at the arsenal, when I look at some of the tape that maybe he is more of a minor league pitcher where he's advanced enough to take advantage of those minor league hitters with a good changeup, but just a changeup is not going to be enough at the major league level when you don't have a great fastball and you don't have a great breaking ball. Maybe, just maybe, he can get a little bit of an uptick on the fastball or maybe he can get that third pitch to even be just average. Then at that point, you're maybe looking at a good enough reliever there to bolster the middle of the bullpen and be a left-hander. But again, he does not really get left-handed hitters out at the same rate as right-handed hitters. And as I've mentioned, probably now in four consecutive podcasts, I've got like a hitting streak going with this line. It's that the Marlins need a guy that can get lefties out. And that's not really Vesia as much as some other candidates on the free agency market. So we'll have to see how he looks going into spring training. And I will definitely have my eyes on him and his stuff to see if I've seen any jumps or improvements in this time off. So definitely a little bit of concern around Vesia and the Marlins for another reason. I think that's why you've seen them go out and get a couple different minor league lefties through the Rule 5, signing Zach Thompson. And they wouldn't be doing that if they were pretty positive that Vesia is a potential guy to be in the bullpen for sure. And I think that's why they're getting some insurance policies there because I'd say Vesia and Tarpley are very uncertain 
heading into this next season. And we'll have to see. I think it'll be a pretty open competition in spring training. So getting into the next question, which is another good one, because the Marlins roster constraints right now make me want to rip my hair out because I just don't know how they're going to make room for the prospects that are knocking on the door and just the flooded outfield that they already have and now first base with Aguilar and Lewin Diaz, who just went yard again, by the way. That's back-to-back home runs for Lewin Diaz, who's starting to swing the bat really well in the Winter League. I'm loving what I'm seeing there after what was a slow start and some bad luck from the BABIP gods. Harold Ramirez, will he be on the team next year or this coming year was the question, and Magnara Sierra as well. I think it's a lot easier to carve a rollout for Magnara Sierra given the fact that he has blazing speed, he's a really good defensive outfielder, and he just had one of his if he just had his best season that we've seen. Yeah, he's only been up in stints, but he looked really good this past year. Don Mattingly commented about his confidence at the plate and his confidence on the base paths and just in general how much more of an impact he could have on the game. I think as a fourth outfielder, as a platoon guy that can come in when you're facing a tough right-hander or when you want to give maybe Garrett Cooper a day off if he's playing the outfield because we know it's important for the Marlins to try to preserve him for the entire season. He showed a little bit of durability this year, but of course it was a shortened season. So I think it's pretty good to have a left-handed bat on the bench that you can give Garrett Cooper the day off here and there and make the lineup dynamic, switch it up. You'll have a speedy guy at the top, and the Marlins really lack a true leadoff hitter, so it would be nice once or twice a week for the Marlins to be able to have that true leadoff hitter at the top of the order and shake things up, especially if they're scuffling at a certain point. And then you have that late-game defensive replacement with him with that solid defense that he can play in center or in the corners, and then also, of course, a pinch runner that he will have a lot of value there as well. So I think you can carve out a role for Magnar Sierra as probably one of the better fourth outfielders in baseball, and I like him to stay on this team given the fact that he's cheap and given the fact that he looks better and better and I like the tools and what he brings to the table as for Harold Ramirez I don't really see a spot for him and I think we got a little caught up here in what was a season of just the Marlins being deprived of any really watchable offense in 2019 I think that has kind of made us distort what was an okay season from Harold Ramirez seem a little bit better. I know that he got hurt this past year and it was an opportunity to see if he could build off of 2019. But when we look at 2019, he was the Marlins, probably one of the Marlins most productive hitters, if not the most productive hitter, but he wasn't really that good on a league average scale. You look at his slash line. Yes, the batting average was solid at 276, but only a 312 OBP, 416 slugging, and only a 92 WRC+. Not to mention his defense is bad, like quite bad. He is fast, but he doesn't really swipe bags. And so you're looking at this and you're like, where's the value really with Harold Ramirez? He only swiped two bags in 119 games, even though he's really fast. He does not walk at all, a 4% walk rate in 2019. He hits for a little bit of power, 11 home runs in 119 games. So that's nothing too substantial for a corner outfield spot. And the WRC plus at 92, the defense, not great. We saw him in center field. It was abysmal. He's okay in the corner spots, but nothing special. Where's the value for him there? He doesn't really provide value as a fourth outfielder because he's not great defensively. He doesn't walk. He doesn't really steal bags. So I don't really see it. And if you can salvage some value out of him and, you know, add him into a package for a trade, sure, maybe a team wants him as that's desperate for some outfield production because at least, you know, he can 
be a league average outfielder, close to it at least. I just don't see any need for him on the Marlins right now. And as much as it seems like people like Harold Ramirez and he might be a great guy, I think he's a really fun to watch on, on the field. It seems like he has a great time out there and he seems like a very fan-friendly type of player. We're at the point now for these Marlins where every roster spot matters and I just don't see the point of using a roster spot on Harold Ramirez, especially when you have prospects knocking on the door. I would rather see some at-bats go to some of the prospects instead, whereas Harold Ramirez, there's not much more that we need to see from him. He's already 26 years old. I don't think that there's going to be a sudden renaissance in his approach where he's going to walk. He just never has walked ever more than around 5% of the time. It's just not one of the things that we're going to get out of him. And with the speed that he has, it's just pretty disappointing to see him not walk more. I don't really see long-term more than league average production from him. And the Marlins have some other options in that regard. And the defensive limitations definitely echo that as well. So maybe the Marlins can pull off some sort of Austin Dean type of deal where they get a promising lower level player like they did with Dial Burgos for Dean. That would be fantastic. I don't know if he'll get that much value, but he is cheap. He is still relatively young, and he does at least have some athleticism and boast a little bit of power where a team that's desperate for outfield help might go and decide to give it a shot. But I think for the Marlins, just not worth the roster spot at this point. I'm going to talk about some trade hypotheticals and some other really interesting questions in just a moment. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by none other than Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors, as well as six new ones. And every Built Bar is covered in chocolate, easy to chew, great for a keto diet. Whether you're trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, Built Bar is the best option as they're low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, high in protein. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use a promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKEDON. This episode's also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust. It's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON. That's one word, LOCKEDON, for your 50% welcome bonus. So if you deposit $100, you'll get an extra 50 on top of that to place some bets, maybe some Marlins future bets, maybe some Sixto Sanchez Rookie of the Year bets. Any of those will be offered on betonline.ag. Check it out with the promo code Locked On. So let's get into some more questions and some trade hypotheticals before I wrap up this episode. And there's been some noise out of Cincinnati. Looks like they're doing a little fire sale potentially here. We already saw them sell off Rizella Iglesias, who was due $9 million this coming season. And the prospect return was not great. But Iglesias, pretty expensive, even though he's been a good reliever. That's not cheap for what is a very volatile position. I think that played a big part in it. One of the higher paid relievers in baseball right now. And that's why the return wasn't great. The reports are that Nick Castellanos might be available, that Sonny Gray is available, that Luis Castillo is available. And I've seen some fans talking about what it would take to get Luis Castillo back. I think that's probably going to be a little bit too tall of a task. And also just, it's brutal to now give up a ton for a guy that you kind of gave away. I know that you got to ignore that and it's just, you got to swallow your pride and just take it as is. If you have a chance to improve your roster, you do it. But I think that Sonny Gray 
would be a more attainable option. And I think that Sonny Gray is a very fair option to make this team much more competitive and much more of a wild card threat going into this next season and also completes the rotation pretty much at that point. And while you might be saying I'd prefer Luis Castillo, yeah, I would too. But keep in mind what the Marlins would probably have to give up or what the Reds would want in a trade for Luis Castillo. I think you can get Sonny Gray without giving up one of your premium, premium prospects. I'm talking about the guys at the top. If you're trying to get Luis Castillo, I think that the Reds are going to ask for Edward Cabrera. They're going to ask for J.J. Bleday. And of course, the Marlins are going to say no to both of those. But they're going to feel like they should be able to have that conversation where they can try to get one of those guys. They're going to ask for Max Meyer, and the Marlins will say no to that too. But the point is, is it's not really that ridiculous to ask for any of those guys for Luis Castillo because Luis Castillo is proven as a top 20 pitcher in this game, if not even better, and he's young and he's controllable. And it just makes sense to, to ask for a premium, premium prospect because a team will probably go ahead and do it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them get an absolute haul for him. So that's why I think Sonny Gray makes a lot more sense. You're still going to have to pay a pretty penny, but I think it's more attainable for the Marlins where they can get him without giving up any of those elite, elite prospects. And they could go more quantity over quality there. And that would be okay for the Reds because at least they could still overhaul their system and then count on getting the blue chip prospect for Luis Castillo. I think the Marlins could go and, and keep in mind also, Sonny Gray's been really good since he left the Yankees. I don't think he could handle the big market as much. I think that was where New York had a big effect on him, and you could see it, and it was really just overwhelming for him. Then he goes to a smaller market team in 2019. He's an all-star with the Reds, pitched to a 2.87 ERA, finished seventh in Cy Young voting. And then in 2020, the ERA went up a little bit, but he was burned by a ridiculously high BABIP. He put up the highest strikeout numbers of his career, punching out 72 in 56 innings. He was really, really good. And keep in mind also that he was doing that in what is one of the best hitters parks in baseball. Now he's going to be going to Marlins Park, where he will probably be a lot, lot better. So I love the potential of a Sonny Gray acquisition. He's also affordable. Three years $30 million. That is not out of the Marlins price range, especially as they unload a million here, a million there with Harold Ramirez, with a couple other guys and seeing what they might do. I think that $10 million adding to this payroll, which they've already slashed some money off the payroll, is not much at all and would be a ridiculous rotation that needs a veteran, I think, to anchor it at the top with Sandy Alcantara. I would say you could pencil in Sandy as a very quality number two or number three starter in this game at this point. Maybe he has a ceiling to potentially be better, but you can kind of pencil him in as that. Pablo Lopez was fantastic this past year, but he's going to have to prove more to be able to say, okay, that's also a middle to maybe number two type of pitcher. You're going to have to see more from him. And that's why you go into this coming season. Sixto Sanchez also flashed ace potential, but he's also got some things to work out and he's not quite there yet. So you could really use just a guy that you can pencil in as a front of the rotation starter right now and kind of take some of the pressure off of the younger guys. The Marlins have so much pitching, but a lot of them are young and not quite as proven. I love Pablo Lopez. I love Sandy, but I'd say Sandy's the only guy that's really proven it on anything close to a larger scale. Pablo is probably the second most there, but still not enough 
from Pablo health-wise and just consistency-wise, though I was so impressed with what we saw, and I think we're looking at a very solid middle of the rotation starter there in Pablo. After that, I'm not so sure that you can really count on somebody anywhere near the consistency of Sonny Gray. And what would a return look like for Sonny Gray? That's the question. And I think if you could put together a solid offer and see what happens, it's worth it. And you got to start the deal with, and I feel like I'm just trying to give away Eliezer Hernandez, but he just seems like the most viable piece here to start a deal with and to avoid tapping into the top, top prospects. If you do anything along the lines of Eliezer Hernandez and then a Gerard Encarnacion and a filler, I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm the Marlins. I don't know if the Reds would even do that. And I think they could probably get some better offers right now. But I would, and let's say, let's lean a little bit more to what would be a quote-unquote overpay for the Marlins if they're going to give up a little bit more, at least for what Marlins fans would think is an overpay. You know my concerns around Braxton Garrett and his velocity. If you go Braxton Garrett, Eliezer Hernandez, and a filler, that could get it done. I don't know what other teams value Eliezer and Braxton Garrett at. That's the only question. I think that Garrett flashes some really good potential, but there's also some questions around his velocity, and the Marlins have Trevor Rogers there, so maybe they don't need Braxton Garrett as much, and Trevor Rogers is much more like the Major League projectable arm, and also the Marlins did just go draft Dax Fulton, who's very far from Major League ready, but at least they have a high upside lefty in that system that they can count on to hopefully turn into a top 100 prospect. If you don't want to give up two pitchers and you want to go just Braxton Garrett there and maybe a Gerard Encarnacion and a Connor Scott, those are two outfield prospects that I think are not really going to stick at a major at a major league level. And you might as well sell high if you're the Marlins on Gerard Encarnacion. And I don't think Connor Scott is really going to get to a point where he boosts his trade value much higher. I think he could have a decent year in the minor leagues. And if he is having a good start, to whatever level he starts at this year. I think the Marlins should explore a trade there because I don't think he is the future value prospect that we thought he would be at the time of the draft. I wasn't thrilled with the pick at the time. I've tried to warm up to the idea of Scott. I have highlighted him and the improvements that he's made at the plate, and I think that he has turned himself into at least a viable prospect, but I don't think that he is somebody that is someone you build around as a first round pick. He's just not that guy anymore. And the reports that I've heard from the alternate training site is he's okay. You know, he's, he looks pretty good, but there's just nothing that looks great. And you're not going to see uh, the power potential that we were hearing about. He looks more like the guy you thought he would be in terms of power potential and the hit tool. If that can get going, maybe you got some value there as a solid, you know, six or seven hitter that could play you some pretty good defense and run the bases, but I just don't really like him as a long-term major piece for the Marlins. Gerard, incredibly volatile, and Braxton Garrett's pretty volatile as well. So you're unloading volatility for what is a guy that can plug in and be a top 20 pitcher in the game when he's going well. And I'd say the last two seasons, he's been a top 20 pitcher in the game too. I said to Luis Castillo, no doubt Sonny Gray has been a top 20 pitcher in baseball the last two years. So if you have a chance to get a top 20 pitcher in baseball and you're only giving up volatility, I would do it in two seconds. That offer for that reason might even be a little too light. That's why I would go, if I could see how far I would push it, I would be comfortable giving up Eliezer Hernandez, Braxton Garrett, and then Connor Scott. I would give up all of that for him, 150%. And I know Marlins fans have pushed back on some of my willingness to trade some prospects, but you're at the point now, you have 
some major league talent. You've gone out to make one or two moves that imply I'm trying to win a little bit more now. You have a chance to put more of the chips forward without compromising the future. You do it. I'm sorry. We can't hold on to these prospects that are not really guaranteed anything. And no prospects guaranteed anything, but not even the guys at the top. We've seen that now. And the Marlins have plenty of guys at the top. Why do we need to hold on to some of these 8th to 15th ranked prospects that are incredibly volatile and that really don't slot in to the long-term plan because there's so many guys in front of them. Let's not get too caught up in prospect tugging here. And if the Marlins have a chance to add a top 20 pitcher, I'm sorry, I I might give up some other guys that are maybe more projectable than Braxton Garrett and Connor Scott. One other question that comes from me, why did the Marlins not sign John Brebbia? That's a question that I have for the Marlins because I don't understand. The Giants just picked up Brebbia for $800,000 on a one-year deal. That is a bargain. And I know he didn't pitch this past season, but that seems like the exact type of person the Marlins could have added. He is nasty, disgusting slider, gets tons of swing and miss, a closer type of profile if he looks like he did in his 2019 form and the Giants just snatched him up for pennies. That would have been a great option for the Marlins who clearly don't want to spend money, but you just spent $300,000 on the Rule 5 draft if you count Clymer too. They went and got Adam Clymer. They go get Zach Pop, who I really like, by the way. And actually, there was a question from Locked On Orioles. When are you going to give us Zach Pop back? Hopefully never. And that's a point towards the fact that Zach Pop is quite good. But then they also go Paul Campbell, who I also really like. But that's $300,000 right there invested in what are filler guys. I think Pop has a chance to be a good back-end guy. Campbell is a swing man, and Clymer is nothing special and looks more like a middle reliever type of innings eater in kind of low-leverage situations. That is almost half of what you could have paid to get Brebbia, who could be a lights-out guy that sits in the twos with a ZRA and an over 30% strikeout rate. I'm not sure what's going on right now. Hopefully the Marlins have a larger plan and we'll see it moving forward. I know I just made my push my agenda to trade some of these prospects. I just think that you got to cash in now. Maybe they want to wait and see how the Marlins prospects are performing in the beginning of the season to try and sell a little higher. I'm not totally against that, but it also might be a little bit harder to go and get some of the pieces that are available right now in the offseason and what is a very slow offseason. And not a lot of teams are willing to give up their prospects. And not a lot of teams have the capital that the Marlins have prospect-wise. Obviously, a lot of teams have the capital that the Marlins have money-wise and then some. But the Marlins do have prospect capital in their favor. Cash in on it. That's how you compensate for not being able to sign some of these bigger free agents. It is a perfect move for the Marlins who would get Sonny Gray at a pretty reasonable rate of $10 million a year over the next two years. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will do more Mailbag Mondays. I want to get some more questions in here, so feel free to fire them. Even if I don't announce the Mailbag Monday, just kind of shoot me a DM and say, hey, this is for the next Mailbag Monday. Can you uh, can you answer this question on one of the next episodes? And I'll be happy to do it. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.